Hi everybody and welcome to episode 12 of Active Souls podcast with me, Joshua Strysky. And me, Paul Dennett. Congratulations, Paul. On what? What have I done oh, now? This is, our, this is our three month anniversary of the Wee, podcast. Made it to three months. <laughs> Wee, haven't quite killed each other yet. Not yet. Well, it's this episode 12, so we're, we're getting closer to that magic 30 where we're supposed to be good. Um, so we're, we're creeping up now. I think we're doing all right. I think um, we've had some really good feedback. So, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, and I think today should be no different, really. We've got a fantastic episode lined up with a nutritionist, Jenny Williams. Um, really excited. It's something that, you know, I think is his own little world, the whole nutrition bubble. There's so much going on within it. Um, there's so many conspiracy theories and things like that. So um, it'd be good to speak to a professional in that industry to see exactly what she thinks. I reckon we should just crack straight on with the interview because it, uh, it was really good. And then we can have a, a good chat afterwards. Let's do it. So really excited to have Jenny Williams on the podcast today. So Jenny is a nutritionist based in Shrewsbury in Shropshire. Um, she's qualified with a distinction as a nutritionist in 2019 after studying with Mac Nutrition Uni. She works closely with clients with a range of goals, including fat loss, muscle gain, the sports performance, and also clinical nutrition. So obviously fantastic guest to have on the pod. So welcome Jenny Williams. Thank you. Obviously, thank you very much for your time and obviously agreeing to come on the podcast. It's much appreciated. And I feel yeah, that, really um, appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, I feel it's going to be a great interview. And obviously, we've got some questions lined up from people from club and people that listen to the pod. So it'd be great to get your views and backgrounds on that. Yeah. Um, so before we start, though, if you could just tell us and the listeners a little bit about you um, and your background in sport. Okay, uh, well... Personally, I'm um, I'm not I'm not a runner or a or a cyclist, which is where most of your questions are going. Um, from a from a sports side of it, I suppose my um, my my pleasure is um, with with performance in terms of um, lifting weights. So um, okay. I'm I'm into the strength sort of side of things. Uh, in terms of the nutrition, um, I trained for for quite a few years with um, with a trainer. And when it got to the point of wanting to get a bit um, more detailed and specific into the nutrition side of it, he was the first to go, this is outside of my remit. Uh, and I looked for, for some advice myself uh, and couldn't find anybody. So it was a case of, right, well, well, I'll do that then um, and get educated myself. So it's sort of, um, that's how it started. Um, and then, yeah, as I've learned more um, and went along and, and then got qualified, it was great to be able to to help other people with their different goals um yeah the sports just very interesting but yeah from a clinical side of it as well um people always have different needs and goals and then obviously fat loss no matter what what you do no matter what anyone's problem is there's always um usually an element of how can i get rid of this bit or that bit so um yeah great to be able to put it all together and um and have yeah the positive impact of, of making a difference with um with a lot of people so you're still lifting now you still still do all that sort of stuff Yes, yes, love it. Yeah, that's right. Is it CrossFit or just normal strength? No, um, <laughs> that sounded bad. Um, <laughs> <I would> just, <laughs> um, yeah, strength stuff. So, yeah, deadlift, squats, you know, that sort of stuff. Something but, uh, triathletes and runners probably don't do enough of as well. 
Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that, that's um, a different tangent to go off on, but yeah, strength stuff very important for all that as well. Yeah, yeah and obviously the nutritional side of things as well, because I, I know there's cliches, aren't there, that say like abs are built in the kitchen and made in the kitchen. Do you yes. do you agree with that sort of thing? Is no, he's gone straight in with the hard questions. <laughs> you can tell where his mind is this morning. <laughs> abs is always the one uh, yeah well everyone's got abs it's just whether you can see them or not um which then does come down to to the food side of things I, and again that varies from people as person to person as well um, there are people who can have quite a high body fat but very visible abs and other people who will get very very lean and and you won't really see much definition going on at all um so yeah it's definitely a case of building them from a strength point of view but then revealing them um, with yeah manipulating your nutrition but abs abs is always the thing that comes up but when it's not they're not necessarily linked to performance either aesthetics and performance <laughs> don't necessarily go hand in hand now you're talking straight to josh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, that, that's, that's a very that's a very good point because if you look at the recent like you know with the boxing and stuff you've got anthony joshua who's a fine specimen of a man yeah. if you looked at him a picture of him and then you know, Andy Ruiz, who defamed him from all his world yeah. title belts, then actually you would have uh, you would have said that was a massive mismatch, wouldn't you? But um, yeah, as you've touched on there, aesthetically, you know, that doesn't always mean that the performance is where um, it should be, really. So yeah, no, very interesting point. I mean, if you think of a bodybuilder, the, the day they step on stage, they are at their weakest. Aesthetically, they look great, but they're not strong. Um, and then, you know, world's strongest man competition, none, none of those have got ripple and abs, but they're, they're lifting the strongest stuff going so yeah you need that that fuel and that energy but yeah to, to be that lean and that um yeah abs it's not necessarily um maintainable or healthy actually um, and from a performance point of view not always optimal long term do you know what i think that leads us on to one of the first questions that we we had actually um mm -hmm. so so one of our athletes who is a triathlete um, and does a lot of like running and cycling that they they've asked what would you say like the magic pill is almost for staying slim but in terms of like the best course of action to lean a few weeks out from a race but without starving yourself when you're still yeah. trying to train hard um, and if you have like quite a slow metabolism as well what what would you suggest in terms of in terms of that okay well starting from the top into in terms of a slow metabolism this is something that that people often say um but your metabolism is basically your energy needs in the course of the day which is mostly made up of the the base requirements for how large you are um and the energy that you burn that's that's the majority of it and then after that it's your exercise on top of that when they've tested it in a lab most people's um metabolisms don't vary very much at all from from the calculated value so people that have a slow metabolism um tend just to kind of move a bit less naturally um I, i'm one of them i'm a natural sloth if i'm not training or i've got a <laughs> focus in mind i'm quite happy to be sat um whereas someone who's who's a lot more twitchy active on the go all the time could probably burn a thousand calories more a day than me uh, it's not that my metabolism's slow it's that i don't move around as much so it's it's likely that activity levels go with that um for someone saying they've got a slow metabolism um but going back to the question with um you know what do they do a few weeks out i mean is it is it necessary to to is there an advantage to being lighter when it comes to a race well, well I, I, yeah I, I, it can be i'm saying like long course yeah so obviously if you can imagine with some of the longer distance events so mm -hmm. when you've got like an ironman as an example the 2.4 yeah. mile swim 112 miles on the bike and then a marathon um yeah. obviously for the the lighter athletes um of a slimmer sort of build and stuff obviously carrying 
that weight like an extra say five kilos or so around over yeah. that distance yes. is quite significant so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm guessing in, in a nutshell really because you're doing sort of like 10 hours training each week and stuff anyway you, you probably naturally do kind of slim down to a degree but I think uh, for a lot of people it's finding that balance of not draining yourself completely because you yeah. want to have enough energy to be able to get around you know yeah. the, the swim the bike and the run in like the best possible time really so um yeah because this 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 question's come from one of our athletes and i can relate to this quite because i did ironman wells two years ago which is a really hilly bike course and i always said if i could have taken i don't know half a stone extra off Mm. my bike efficiency over the hills would have been a lot better to give me a better into the run but as i say it's finding that balance going into the training of not reducing your food and your calorie intake too much that you start losing energy and you can't train properly but I'd say it's just finding that, that balance. Yeah, I think ideally, thinking of time frames, to lose the the excess weight would ideally be something you want to try and do before you start getting into the the sort of ramp up to the race. Um, so if you've got a say a sixteen week pretty intense training schedule in the run up to the race, to sort of be be hitting the beginning of that sixteen weeks um, at the the weight that you want to be, um, and then fueling around maintenance. To, to power you and increase your performance up to the race. Um, when it comes to a few weeks out, that's ideal world. Not everyone functions in ideal world, very few of us do. You wouldn't necessarily want to do anything extreme in terms of cutting out carbs because that's going to impact your performance quite dramatically. But maybe at that point, it would be getting a bit more technical in terms of um, when you eat your carbs. So fueling around your training sessions. Um, so you're still full of energy and raring to go around that and then maybe away from training depending on on your training splits in the day um having a lower lower carb meal focusing on your proteins and your fats away from that and then that's a potential way of um reducing your energy intake without compromising your training performance which is ultimately what you need you really need to keep going but yeah it's one of those ideally you'd have started it five six months ago um in the run-up to it um, but yeah, nothing dramatic coming up to it. But yeah, potentially manipulating your carbs is a way of being able to reduce your calories without impacting your performance. Wicked. So I'm already behind the time zone. So I used to do a lot. I've got an event in February, so I need to lose weight now before Christmas and keep it off over Christmas. Is what you're saying? That would be the idea. Yeah, if you can get down <laughs> to the weight, because it, it gives you more scope then to to fuel yourself well for your training, which is the most important thing, and you know will have the the, the biggest impact on on your actual um, on your race. But yeah, ideally, it's, it's not what anyone wants to hear, um, but it's playing the long game. Um, yeah, and, and hitting the start in the in the best condition you can be in, roughly where you want to be. And then, yeah, look to increase your, your strength and your endurance. Yeah, because you, you hear when box, um, Josh <laughs> using that boxer scenario earlier, how they, they try and make weight by losing water and mm. um, skipping for 15 hours to, to, to shred the pounds just to get into the weigh-in. And then, yeah. of course, they get off the scales and then go and eat and drink just to bring it all back up and uh, put energy back into the body yeah yeah they're basically dehydrating themselves to get into that state but then um luckily they they then have a period where they can rehydrate and refuel and and build those stores back up quite quick it's quite artificial really but yeah not something before an epic endurance event you want to be to be messing with at all now and i suppose that does actually link in quite nicely with the what paul said there about the boxing because i know that um like you know i'm quite a boxing fan myself and having watched some fights you know if someone hasn't actually then put on a very good performance what you'll often find is they'll say 
um, that they they lost too much weight the week before the fight. Yeah. So obviously their their training plan for whatever reason might be injury or something. You know, the whole like twelve weeks didn't yeah. quite go to plan, and then in that last week they really had to hit it hard because obviously they have to make a certain weight category, mm. and then actually that is on fight night. Um, been like the decisive factor when you're talking about those small marginal gains because actually they've exerted themselves in that build up too much so they then haven't performed on the night as best they could so yeah yeah, yeah it's very interesting trade off with being the for, for boxing in particular you know the, the heaviest in your weight class the same with things like powerlifting and stuff like that um but also yeah if, if you're really struggling to try and just fit into that weight class well yeah you're probably the biggest guy within it but if if you're then fatigued and not fueled correctly, you've not got the the energy and the reserves to be able to use all that extra mass. So, um, so yeah, it's trade-offs there between where exactly you're going to sit. But yeah, definitely nothing too extreme for anything endurance. Yeah, no, nice. Okay, so ne next question then is, so what would you recommend to eat for someone with a sensitive digestive system before and after a run or cycle? And how long before and after should they eat and what foods for energy do you recommend? It's about three in one question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, oh, sensitive tummy could be um, many things, really. Whether it's um, someone who's irritated or whether it's a case of a, I know you get a lot of sort of runner's tummy stuff going on. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions. <laughs> <laughs> that one um, but it, it's one of those that it's it's very um, different to the individual. There's some people um, that I know, you know, for training are, are quite happy to go out on an empty stomach, feel better um, doing that. Um, there's other people who would pass out before they got to the the end of the road if they were doing the same thing. If if you're talking sort of optimal, um, kind of by the textbook, ideally you want to be eating something about two to three hours before that's a, a reasonably substantial meal. Um, that's got some fast acting carbs in there and some protein um, you don't want to be going too heavy on the fats because that can can sit in your stomach anything with fat slows your digestion so if you have something um, high in fat it's going to sort of sit in your stomach and that's going to be jiggling about and irritating you want something that's just going to go in and get absorbed quite quickly and not hang around for too long um, so that's where you've got you know your rice your pasta your porridge sort of thing um, a sandwich with some sort of lean meat something like that again that might be enough for some people and anything closer might not work but if you're looking for that instant energy boost before about an hour before um you want to be going for something that goes kind of against the the healthy eating um so you're looking something like white toast and jam yeah the, the pre-packed waffles are a favorite There's i'm some... a big fan of a, a pan of chocolate is that all right <laughs> pan of chocolate. um <laughs> Might be a bit, I don't know what the fat content is on one of those. If that works for you, it's one of those, if it works for you, then it's awesome. You need something. Yeah, it's literally the opposite. People kind of go, oh my God, I can't have that. It, it's like the opposite of healthy. You want something sugary um, that's just going to give you that instant, that, that boost and that hit when you're talking about an hour before. Something that's going to go in, get digested very quickly, um, suck into all the muscles and give you that, that boost to get going. Um, so again, it depends on preference, sugary cereals, things like Frosties, um, chocolate, um, the chocolate rice crispy square things are quite a favourite as well. But yeah, it, individual tolerance. Oh, and I would say as well, if it, if it is things like races and, um, and events, do be, be practised, don't try anything new when it comes to race day. Mm -hmm. uh, make sure that it is something that you can tolerate and will sit well um, and you know works for you. So have a bit of a routine and have practised it um, 
going up to there. In terms of afterwards, um, same sort of thing, really. You want your carbs in to refuel protein, high quality protein source as well. So your meats and your dairy, things like that, that start building and repairing those muscles. Um, and hydration is a big thing. You need to get that back in. Um, if you're having it with food, then then water will go well. But um, if you're quite sensitive to stomach, and you don't feel like eating afterwards. That's something that can happen. You can when you've yeah, you've had a quite intense exercise session, your appetite can be suppressed. Um, so things then like smoothies, um, protein shakes can be good to get in. Milk is a great one. Pint of milk. You've got your protein, your carbs, electrolytes all in there. That's a great one for rehydration and a bit of fuel going in. People always um, laugh at me because after an Ironman, I, I, I aim for a McDonald's because a vanilla um, milkshake from McDonald's hits the spot every time. That's a great, awesome. If that works, one of the good, the, um, going through the, the most hydrating um, beverage, the, the most optimal sort of post-race hydration beverage was um, chocolate milk. Oh, came out. Uh, more so than water, more hard, more hydrating than water, and you've got the the benefit of the the fast acting carbs in there as well. So there you go, chocolate milk is um. Wow, <laughs> I would have never have thought that. Hannah, <laughs> Hannah loves a chocolate milk as well. <laughs> really loving that. With the um, sensitive stomach side of thing, yeah. does dairy have a part to play in that? Because that's one of my. Because as uh, we were talking off um, my earlier about my coffee intake, mm. uh, drinking lots of milk within the coffee. Would that have an, uh, uh, an effect on me when I might run in the, the dairy side of things? Should I maybe try the black coffee? Uh, it's one of those. It's an individual thing. I mean, you might have a bit of a lactose intolerance. Some people might do to, to some degree. So maybe, you know, try different sort of milks. Um, lots of oat milks of things about now, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Not something I'd recommend unless you, you were intolerant um, to lactose. There's, there's no benefit to them other than that. It might be something um, to try. But in, in terms of the, the kind of the runner's trots, as it's called, it's, it's not actually known exactly what causes it. And it can be different for different people. So um, it's a combination of the adrenaline, irritating, your digestion, the blood flow being diverted elsewhere. Um, it could be trigger foods, so things like milk, potentially spicy foods. Um, caffeine can be a trigger, unfortunately, as well, which um, is then the coffee bit, not the milk bit. Yeah. So it's it's another one of those that there's no sort of clear cut with, but it sort of depends on you as to um, maybe trying some different things, eliminating some different things, and seeing if anything does help. So with with dairy as well, lots of people are now going plant based. Yes. Um, are you a big fan of the, the vegan diet for athletes? Not for performance. Um, the evidence does not support a vegan diet in terms of performance based, being superior for performance. If, if it's an ethical decision and you want to go vegan, then it's, it's great. And it can be worked so that performance can be you know, maintained or, or improved even, but there's nothing about a vegan diet that is superior um, to a, a good quality omnivorous diet when it comes to performance that I would say personally is superior in terms of um, protein, you know, recovery, strength gains, things like that. Um, that was going to be one of my questions. If you do go vegan, have you then got to start thinking about supplements to compensate yes. for the things that you're missing from the meats and things? Yes. In terms of, um, as well as well, plant-based, plant-based doesn't necessarily mean vegan. The, the best diet should be plant-based. It should be mostly vegetables, 
you know, carbs, good, good quality stuff. But ideally, you want some meat and some dairy in there as well. Then you've got the best of, of everything. Um, yeah, if you are going to go totally plant based, um, there are things that you will not get in your diet. You will not get B12, which comes from meat. Um, vitamin D is like to be very low. Calcium, iodine, omega-3. Um, it's not a complete diet in itself. So you will need to supplement. Protein, again, is a big one. You can get protein from non-animal sources, but the quality is not as good. You're missing some of the amino acids. You have to be very clever about combining different sorts of foods to make sure you're getting this complete amino acid profile. So it's, it, it's tricky to do well. I know there's, there's been a lot of the, the game changers thing. Wasn't yeah, there? I was going to mention that on Netflix. <laughs> After everyone watched that, it was the, the, the thing to do. It was thing to um, but in, in terms of that, I mean that that was that was made by someone who is um you know pushing vegan products and books. Yeah. Vegan. Um some of the examples that they used, I mean, some of the studies, I mean there are studies out there that compare it, but quite often I think um one in there referenced a vegan diet, but it's compared to um a very you know western diet, so very high fat, very high sugar. So in terms of health markers, someone that did go vegan would probably improve their blood cholesterol and things like that um vegans often tend to be more health seeking they don't drink they don't smoke they do exercise you know it's, it's a conscious choice and people are working very hard to make that diet work for them you're not going to go and get a mcdonald's or um you know a domino's pizza you are eating a lot more and a lot big diverse range of beans and lentils and veg and stuff so so there are a lot of short-term benefits to it but yeah longer term and, and longer term is something that is coming out now. There are people who've gone vegan who've maybe not done it um, very consciously. I mean, Oreos are vegan. You can eat Oreos and chips all day and you're vegan. It doesn't make you any healthier. I use, um, is it Ranga Nathan, the, the comedian? Oh, yes. He, he's yeah. a vegan. But when you look at him as a specimen, he's not doesn't look the healthiest guy in the world. Well, that's what I mean. You don't have to <laughs> it doesn't, it, it's like, um, you know, there's a lot of healthy foods, aren't there, that um, you still you eat too much of them and you, you're going to, put weight on it it doesn't automatically you know turn you into some sort of god from a physique point of view but no the, the game changes yeah the, the the weight of the body of evidence doesn't show any performance benefits from um yeah going exclusively plant-based and it's not something that i would i'd recommend if it's if it's something from an ethical point of view then that's fine and it can be worked with but where people are like, oh, I really like meat and I don't want to cut it. Well, don't, don't do it. Don't cut it out. You're not going to, nothing magic's going to happen. The people that have turned vegan, I think, was it Arnold Schwarzenegger was in the, um, yeah. the documentary and he's vegan. Mm. Well, he's only just vegan. Now he's, what, 70. He didn't get to how he was from not eating meat. I think that's probably about all he ate for the, the first sort of 40, 50 years of his life. And again, with this, there's no one who's sort of been vegan for, for 30 years going you know well look at this and look at me and this is how i am it's kind of it's quite a short-term thing was was there a boxer actually as well who was in america was that another one um yeah i can't, re yeah, I can't remember his yeah, name yeah i can't remember his name i know there's a few footballers and stuff that do it like chris smallin and um there's mm. a couple of others now that do it but again that that's like you said it's only recently not longer term yeah so they've spent 20 years building up their fitness and endurance and muscle you know, with a with an omnivorous diet, and then they've gone vegan, which is usually led by something like that. But there are people who, a couple of years down the line, have gone. You know, I've started eating meat again because I didn't feel right, um, and now you know they're probably deficient in 
iron, you know, calcium B12, something like that. And then they've, they've reintroduced it, still kept the, the majority of a plant-based diet, which is great and, and is what you should be doing. Um, but yeah, just topping that back on top. Um, and then they just like, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's how humans are, are meant to eat. We are omnivorous creatures. We are supposed to eat both. So from a, you know, from that point of view, ethical is a different thing, but in terms of performance, yeah, there's, there's no need to cut it out. Yeah, that, that's that's really interesting because um, I basically have been pescatarian okay. like so far from the start of the year up until yeah. now, um, and I was purely doing it for um, performance purposes. I just wanted mm. to to trial it, and I've done a bit of research. You know, I'm quite almost against using Google to a degree because, like anything, you start typing things in, and like a million and one different yes. things come up. Something normally adds. One thing <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, it's just it's just a bit of a minefield, and I think you've got to be very careful about what you read and like yes. the information that you take on from somewhere like Google. Um, but yeah, I, I've actually felt initially I thought that I felt kind of more energized. Mm. But I think you've touched on a point like earlier on when we were asking questions about the times that you eat. Yes. And what I have noticed is the times that I eat, I also changed slightly. Okay. Um, you know what you talked about, like fueling, like before sessions and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So, so I'm actually now on the point based on what you just said there as well, that there's actually no real sort of like scientific evidence to suggest that it will give you more energy or enhance performance. I'm wondering whether it's just the fact that I've slightly changed. Times the timetable. Like yeah. The times that I eat before my sessions. Um, hmm. cause you know, like I think leading up to a race and stuff, I'll be training like at least two times a day for probably yeah. three times a day, really wow. like morning, something yeah. in the day and then in the evening. So, um, yeah, no, that, that's, that's really interesting. Cause, uh, cause I, I do tend to find when I was eating meat, I don't know whether it's just a bit more of a heavier meal, but I felt hmm. that it sat in my stomach a lot longer. And what I did find with the plant-based, I say plant-based, like, the pescatarian side of things like eating mm. more veg chickpeas all of those things to get yeah. like you know proteins in instead of your meat i tend to find that i was like hungry a lot quicker yes so like what i was what i found is that when i would eat meat it almost kind of sat in my stomach mm -hmm. a lot longer than the the plant-based foods yeah um which I, I don't know whether you can shed some light on that i don't know whether that's just in my head psychologically or whether that is actually no, no, a, that is, a true um, thing yeah, proteins um, are a very slow digesting food. It's one of the things that if people are looking to lose weight, it's often a, well, if you bump up your protein, it's not just for, for growing muscles. Um, because it's like fats, it's very slow digesting. It will sit heavy in your, heavy in your stomach. Mm. Um, and it has a very high thermic effect of food. So it takes a lot of energy, energy to digest. So... You know, you know, you have the things, say if you have like a big, a big Sunday dinner and you get like the meat sweats, it's like a thing. <laughs> um, yeah. and, it's, and it's true. It's, it's very hard for your body to, to break down the protein um, in that way. And, it, and in the same way, no one's sort of gorging on chicken breasts, are they? Like there's a point and it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm done with the, with the chicken. Mm. There's so much you can eat. Because, um, yeah, because it is very filling. There's a lot of benefits to it, but I think where you say about feeling better, you, you're getting a lot more carb-rich food in there. You're getting some great stuff in with your, your lentils and your chickpeas, and you know, you're probably eating a lot a bigger variety of vegetables. You're getting in a you know wider vitamin profile, so you're probably getting quite a, a boost from that point of view. But yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't have to be every day. It doesn't have to be every meal. But it's. I wouldn't say it's something that you have to totally exclude. 
but then again if, if that's your preference and, and you're feeling good in that way then um then go with it but yeah there's nothing nothing that says you you can you can never but yeah you're probably just a lot more conscious about what you're eating when you're eating and maybe the need to eat more which may have fueled your sessions better yeah no, that's, that's really interesting really insightful actually yeah I, I did say to my girlfriend hannah i think next I, I might see it out to the end of the year and then i think next year the only thing i might potentially change is when we go out for food like mm. or get a takeaway or something like that i might just reintroduce meat then mm. um so j- just because i think as well like when when you go out for food you know there's only so many sort of like you know if you go to say like an indian or somewhere like that there's yeah. only you know so much you can you can pick it gets a little bit boring after a while doesn't it yeah so. yeah can only have veg so many ways <laughs> so on, on the note of um yeah definitely on, on the note of protein then yes. what would you like recommend as like sort of like the best sort of protein for recovery and would you recommend the same protein for after cardio and strength sessions yes protein um yeah protein's the the big buzzword really isn't it in the nutrition you can't really go anywhere without anything being about protein but yeah in terms of recovery of strength um and in terms of you know cardio endurance based stuff um it's the same the same things really looking for high quality protein source which ideally is um an animal based uh, protein whether that's dairy or whether it's meat or well there is soy is a complete plant based protein that's the only one that's got you know a full a full complement of amino acids um if i just kind of backtrack on it there when i'm talking about complete protein proteins i think there's 27 different amino acids and protein that makes it complete your body can synthesize most can make most of them itself but there's nine that it can't you have to get from food so to have um to uh, to grow your muscles to repair your muscles you need all you need these nine that you've got to take in at any one time so animal sources eggs yogurts milk cheese uh lean meats they've got all these nine essential amino acids in in really good amounts so eating anything like that you topped up straight away your protein and your your body's repairing and it's on the way if you have plant-based sources it's either missing or it's very very low in at least one if not two of these nine that you've got to have so that's when it comes about combining uh, different protein sources so yeah after pre pre post and at, at regular intervals throughout the day really every meal should really be focused around protein you're looking at getting a good uh, protein source basing your meal around that at, at each sort of feeding throughout the day are you, you know, a fan of the the the, the, sh- the pre uh, shakes you can buy and all that sort of stuff in in the supermarket or you should you be getting your protein from like the whole foods and stuff um there's there's nothing wrong with the shakes um and the the whey proteins you can get the water ones now as well which are quite nice because i'm not a fan of the milky kind of protein shakes just from a taste point of view that's all um they're, they're great if you can if you can stomach them but all it is is it's it's a convenient way of getting protein in um so if you're um you know if you're out doing a, a run or a race or something and then you're going to be in the car and it's a two-hour drive to get home well if you net one of those then that's a you know that's a great way of, of getting that in but then again, if you have got um, some Greek yogurt and strawberries in a pot waiting for you and you'd rather have that, then, then that's great as well. Um, all it is is a convenient form of protein. So it's did, I, did I see on your Instagram about Edam cheese? Oh, 
Baby Bells. Baby Bells, baby that was bell it. Cheese. Yeah, that one. Um, everyone loves that one. Yeah, that was Grenade Bars. Grenade Bars are a... Um, I love Grenade Bars. So yeah, you've got, you've got 23 grams of you know high-quality protein in a Grenade Bar. Go for one of those as well. Um, they're a staple in my diet. Um, but on the flip side, um, just thinking of something, it doesn't always have to be that. There's quite a lot of calories, to be fair, in a Grenade Bar if you're just looking at your protein. But yeah, a, a Baby Bell a baby bell light has got 42 calories and five grams of protein so for 168 calories you can get your 20 grams of protein which is sort of the, the minimum you want to be hitting in a in a sitting and yeah and they're, they're easy to grab to carry to to get around or to so top four ba- four baby bell lights yes <laughs> it's a great one to have i mean um it's the thing if you're out and about i mean it's it's a bit more difficult to eat on the go if you're very focused on getting you know quite a high protein target in but something like that i mean boots meal deal now you can get three baby bells in a you know as a a snack i think it is so if you're getting a sandwich which they average about 18 grams of protein there's you know there's there's not really a great deal of options for for someone who's looking to hit about 30 but you know get one of those as well on the side and yeah yeah you're topping up your protein but yeah cheese is a great one little baby bells (laughs) wicked yeah nice and um, in terms of so something I've led to believe over, over the years, and again, I've, I've tried it like in the build up to races and just before, and I, I believe it works. But is it true beetroot juice is a good supplement? And that is, um, I'm, I'm led to believe it oxygenates your blood. Is that right? So it's quite good for things like swimming and obviously oxygenating your muscles in general. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Beetroot juice is, um, is a good one. In terms of supplements, there are few again it's one of those that you can you can go in and, and there's shelves and shelves and racks and racks and this will do all these amazing things but um mm-hmm. yeah there's very few that are actually very strongly supported by evidence um yeah beet, beet reduce is pretty good in, and beetroots themselves and in, in, yeah that's just the you know it's constant you can get the little shots can't you um yeah, yeah, from right, yeah. View, um yeah from increasing stamina blood flow that sorts of things yeah beet, beet roots so one glad- of them. It tastes like dirt, though, a lot of the time. I'm glad you had that. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> those little shots, those concentrated shots are absolutely yep. horrendous. And um, I'm so glad you said that it does have a positive effect because the <laughs> amount of times I've held my nose and necked one of those. If, uh, if you were to turn around then and say, no, it doesn't do that. Yeah, I would have been devastated. I would have been like, I've been cheating all these years. <laughs> Again, supplementation is a very um, individual thing. Um, and it, again, it depends on, on the, the sport, you know, the rest of your diet um, in terms of, of what to recommend. But um, yeah, beet, beet reduce is a common one for anything sort of endurance. But um, yeah, top of the list, really, I don't know if it's a question or not, but we'll go off on one, is um, yeah, creatine. I think everyone should be having creatine from a sports I've seen a few people being sponsored by some creatine um, people on Instagram and stuff. And they're always putting the ads up and stuff. Now, what does that, what does that do then? Oh, creatine's amazing. Creatine is um, basically the building block of your short-term energy. So your um, creatine phosphate system. So that initial sort of intense energy burst that you get doing anything sort of high performance, the, the breakdown of it and the turnover is fueled by your creatine stores. And they're very naturally very low in your diet, especially if you don't eat meat. Um, so it's near impossible to get enough from um even eating meat to get enough from your diet so supplementing by about five grams a day really gives a a boost in terms of 
the evidence in terms of endurance, in terms of sprint speed, in terms of muscle growth, it just gives you that extra, it doesn't do anything directly to your muscle, but it just gives you that extra little boost basically to perform that bit better um, and train that bit harder, um, which then results in an increase. So what does that come in like a tablet form, like a vitamin tablet or... You can get tablets, but the best um, or the cheapest is you just get it in a big bag. You get the little scoop, the powder stuff, chuck it in whatever you're drinking. Um, I've seen some people put it in coffee. Um, <laughs> just swill it with a bit of water. I do it and neck it in the morning with me, um, with me, me fish oil tablets. But yeah, creatine, I mean, it's got those protective things for, um, they, they treat people with concussion with creatine now because you've seen the protective effects of that um, in older people. Um, is reduced cognitive decline things about pre- um, in pregnancy to do with oh there's just so it's literally like everyone should take creatine that's just kind of mental but in terms of actual sports performance that's the one that's got the most it's the most tested it's the most yeah and it, it's been shown to have the most benefit long term because it, it was quite controversial it, it started off in the 80s i think it was in the olympics um and they were trying to get it banned because the athletes that were taking it were showing these performance leaps but because it's naturally found in food in meat um and it does naturally occur in the body it's like oh you can't it's like banning bread you can't do it because it's a food um so yeah that's that's very much a staple now although if anyone's competing officially um and looking to supplement you should go for something that's informed sport tested to make sure that, that it's not contaminated with anything if if tests of you know blood or urine tests are going to come in at any point just to make double sure and is that a post or pre-workout thing creatine um it is there's some some studies show a very slight advantage to taking it post-workout but the most beneficial is just getting it in every day you need to just build up your stores. So, I mean, I take mine in the morning okay. because I'll forget otherwise, um, you know, if, if you're off and you're oh, at the gym and then you're back and you forget. And so, yeah, so it's just, it's just taking it every day basically is, is what needs to get. And don't you worry too much about the timing. If there is a benefit, it's so ridiculously minute. Wicked. Okay. Um, one of the other questions we had in was about fuel enduring races and things like um, quite a few of our uh, athletes, like their long bike rides and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And they're worried about gaining or losing too much weight on the, the bike with like gels and things. Yeah. Uh, what would be a good, what would you, once again, it's going to be like an individual thing, but what do you recommend as for fuel during events on like yeah. long bike rides and stuff? During events is a bit of a funny one. I suppose um, it is that thing of, transportability isn't it so yeah i mean the the gels and the and the drinks and stuff are sort of geared towards that in terms of giving the you know the optimal amounts of of carbs um which is which is what you need in for those sorts of things so um you're not really packing your jam sandwich to go on your room i've seen that done i've seen that done (laughs) (laughs) and if that works and that's what you want to do then go for it um but yeah and yeah the other thing with the gels is they can sort of cause some sort of you know irritation and discomfort some people don't settle to them too well is it true you can train your gut to take them over a period of time though if you, will, you stick yeah. with it long enough yeah yeah um and not not overdosing on them as well is the other thing um yeah they, they can pass through if you go for, <laughs> for too many um but yeah again like with anything with your with your food pre and post it it's it's trialing them in training it's not something where you go Oh, right. Oh, you know, I've grabbed these when it's registration and they're giving out the free samples. Oh, let's stick some of them in. I'll have some of that. You know, don't do that on the day. Make sure it's something that that you're 
you, you've practiced, you've, you've tried and it's, um, you know, you know, it works for you. You know, you're not going to have that thing an hour in going, Oh my God, I'm going to have to stop here. This is going through different brands, you know, different formulations, different flavors. Um, I mean, there's a lot out there these days. One, uh, a point that is interesting, um, and worth um, noting because they're often the, the glucose gels that you get in terms of what your body can um, absorb. Um, you can only take in so much glucose, I think it's 60 grams an hour of glucose, but um, to do with the, the way that you, the receptors work, you can actually take in an additional 30 grams of fructose. So it's like the fruit sugars. Um, so if you're going for a sort of all out maximal carb intake, look for a blend of glucose and fructose in a gel because you'll be able to get a bit more in them. Right, okay. And um, because the, the way to work that out as well is is so many grams per kilo for your weight and things that you should be working out how many uh, you should be having. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go um, on the baseline of that, but yeah, it tends to be it's around yeah about sixty grams carbs, thirty fructose. But yeah, um, again, it's a tolerance thing as well with the gel. Yeah. So like you can go. I mean, it's the same with things like caffeine. You can go on a per body weight, but for some people that will be way too much. For other people, it won't touch the side. So again, I'd say sort of you know baseline it around in the middle and then test either side. Yeah, when I did my um my last Ironman, I think I was drinking Tailwind with caffeine, which gave you so many calories per hour, and yeah. um, topping up with uh, mini pork pies, uh, <laughs> which worked for me. Yeah. If it works, it's like I don't know if it's works. Yeah, quite fatty pork pies. So I don't know how they'd sit with me personally. <laughs> <laughs> they were a little bit dry after about six hours on the bike. They were a little bit dry, but they they did all right. It was okay. Oh get a lot of sweets and stuff usually um you know jelly beans and jelly beans wine gums wine gums wine gums is always a good one for me i think that's me yeah it's it's, 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 it's what works um i know do people do as i say worry about the the thing with gels is people see it's um full of sugar and then they're worried about as i say losing the weight and all that sort of stuff and it counteracting the exercise side of things what you mean in, in terms of like body fat? Story? Yeah, so because yeah. they're, they're, they're worried by taking the gels and say that they their advertisers got sugary and all that sort of stuff. And then if you think you're trying to stick to a calorie-based diet, yeah, uh, and then people are worried about how much energy they're um, using on the bike to counteract what mm. they're taking in sort of thing. Well, I mean, it's it's fuel. When it, when it comes to the race, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking in, in race mode now when it's a case of fuel. And I suppose that's from a performance point of view where where all my um, recommendations come from really it's about optimal for you know in the moment so if if you're doing these you know huge you know miles and distances and and times you need so much energy um to to fuel that that you do need and i mean yeah it's sugar but in the same way that you know it, it's still just carbohydrate it's four calories per gram it doesn't really in terms of its energy balance as to whether that would be stored as fat or not. If you're burning 2000 calories because you're out for six hours doing something, you'll probably, you'll need that and some, you know, that your, your resulting weight after or before is going to be yeah, a lot, a lot more than, than just the day. It's definitely about fueling optimally for, for then. Wicked. Um, I think we should have a, a quick chat about caffeine as well because we were talking off mic about caffeine and uh, my coffee intake was brought up. <laughs> uh, so thoughts on caffeine before, during, after? Oh, awesome. Caffeine. Um, 
but I, yeah, I don't know many people who don't live on caffeine, maybe not to quite the extent of um, the coffee well, habit. I saw Josh, the first, <laughs> we went on a bike ride the other week, we did uh, uh, over 100 <laughs> miles in Wales before the lockdown and stuff. Yeah. Um, Josh was lagging a little bit, he then had a coffee and then about 10 minutes later he was cycling past me with no hands doing the YMCA, singing as loud as he can. <laughs> So some people should stay away from coffee as well. I think. <laughs> well that sounds like it had a great performance benefit there. <laughs> yeah, well, this is this is what I say. So obviously, jokes aside, me and Paul talk about it a little bit because Paul drinks like a substantial amount of coffee every day. Like how, how many cups? Paul? Oh, I wouldn't like to say, yeah, at least. I could drink coffee as I go to bed and it not affect me anymore. Okay. Yeah. See, whereas I'm the much. other way, right? So I've drank probably coffee about five times in my whole life yeah and i don't really have any caffeinated drinks um as such at all so i have previously uh head of a race had a cup of like black coffee mm-hmm. just for purely performance enhancing reasons yeah. um and yeah just obviously want to know your thoughts on that whether or not that is a benefit or whether you should just add caffeine into your day anyway to help with like alertness and training or whatever else or whether you think only as and when you need it because then it has a bigger effect so along those lines as well the thing i'm doing in february because Mm -hmm. i drink so much now and it's going to be a 24-hour event should i reduce my coffee intake so at three o'clock in the morning it actually gives me that kick (laughs) or should i just carry on doing what i'm doing because that's what my body's used to okay two questions in one um well we'll start from the top so um when i said about uh supplements and a lack of evidence really there is there are two um that are your your big hitters so creatine is one and caffeine is the other these are your two uh supplements well, i'll say supplements um compounds that really do have a big impact on performance um and have been studied very widely are found to be very safe and very effective in doing so so um yeah from a performance point of view caffeine definitely does have an impact there are two ways that caffeine works there's the alertness side of it so when you have one at three in the morning and you're wired and you can't stay awake and then there's the kind of the the deeper effect where it's on endurance and performance and um you know giving you that that extra kick which is sort of on you know your muscles rather than the, the wiredness in your head for there to be the true performance benefit, this when it's been studied, um, the effects have been shown, oh, again, in so many things in terms of strength and power increases, you know, sprint times, endurance, event, you know, everything has been shown to improve basically, um, but at very high levels. So you're talking about three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight. Um, is like the dose you're looking at to really get a performance impact. So your one cup of coffee might have made you a little bit more alert, but in terms of performance on, you know, from like a a muscular sort of level, it probably wasn't doing anything that dramatic. I mean, that is quite a lot of caffeine, um, three to six milligrams. If you think we're talking about um, the white monster, that's about 150 milligrams. So one of those, I mean, I'm, you know, five foot two, like, 55 kilograms that's not technically enough for me to have those true performance benefits but if i had two of those i would probably be bouncing off the ceiling (laughs) so um, i don't drink coffee um 
so from a tolerance point of view it's it's again quite individual there but yeah caffeine definitely pre-session you want to be looking about between half an hour to 45 minutes before you want to kick off get in quite a again a tested and would do so in training and gradually see where you're at with it a big dose all in one go so coffees throughout the day aren't going to have the same impact as having you know a quadruple shot of something before or something like um caffeine tablets are probably the most accurate way to dose it uh, most places sell them they're about eight quid um in a little pot um and they're about coming 200 milligram tablets so for most people that's probably two of those to get but then again if you're not used to caffeine don't take two because you'll probably be rocking in a corner crying um, <laughs> after which i'd probably pay to see you do that josh to be honest <laughs> I, have well, had I, was, that. I was just thinking that yeah yeah that. no i have had um, there was someone who um who trained very early in the morning and didn't eat was like oh should i try caffeine tablets it's like yeah yeah give it a go and um and he said i'm not doing that again i literally like burst out crying um like an hour later that's just how like, i was when i came off of coffee <laughs> Yeah. But in, in terms of coming off it to desensitize, that that's something that um again I think is you know, you hear people um talked about, but in terms of the, the evidence on it, um it's that different sort of receptor. So from a wiredness point of view, although if, if you're going through the night, that might be of a benefit to you as well. Um from a from an endurance point of view, you won't lose the benefits of um of the caffeine from having it continually. But yeah, if you want that sort of kick of like, whoa, you know in the middle of, of what would be the middle of the night, then it, it may be of a benefit to, to taper it down. Again, for, for training sessions, I wouldn't recommend going super high dose for everyone, but because it is, it is quite a high dose and it can impact your, um, your sleep um, and other things. Obviously not if you've got quite a tolerance to it, but yeah, for some, for some key big, you know, sessions and races again, when practiced, it's definitely um, yeah, something to, to consider add into the the list because it, it will it well studies show it's very widely researched and it, it's shown some quite significant improvements so, so would you say i'm better off continuing doing what i'm doing then in terms of only using it potentially on a race day or do you think i should introduce it like into my day-to-day -day training because I, I in in my mind i'm thinking if i don't use it hmm. like i know if i then use it like you know once a month yeah. When I do use it, that impact is going to be far greater than, say, Paul, who has like a massive influx of caffeine throughout his normal day anyway. Yeah. Well, that's it from a um, for, from an endurance performance point of view. It shouldn't matter what your habitual dose is. Um, you will have that added benefit of being like super wired at the same time. But um, I mean, once a month is a very long time. I mean, you can sort of detox from caffeine quite quickly you know probably a week could do it so if say if you had one session a week where you were you know you were going for a pb or you were going for um you know if you do any strength training alongside you know something that that required that that really big kick if you then use that as your session where you were going to go quite you know test your dosage on caffeine whether it was tablets or something else um and see how you responded you could potentially train harder in that session perform better and then the adaptations would then flow through um and give you you know better performance when it comes to race day 
good to know. Good to I'm know. a lot older than you two. When we're talking tablets, as a kid, we used to like Pro Plus to keep us awake during when we were studying. Is that what you're on about tablet form? No, if you go on um, any of the sort of, you know, supplementary websites, my protein, things like that, and literally caffeine tablets is what they're called. Just little, little white. The Pro Plus has got other stuff in it as well, I think, but there's some caffeine in there. But yeah, you literally, um, they've literally just got caffeine. They just look like little, like paracetamol sort of white tablets. Yeah, usually dosed at about 200 milligrams. So good, because coffee as well is very variable. There was, they did a study on, I think it was Starbucks and they bought a Starbucks from the same place every day for seven days a week. And the, the caffeine levels varied by about 15, 15 Depending on who made it and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And what beans it happened to be that day or all that sort of stuff. So even saying, you know, trying to accurately dose with coffee, even though it'd still probably be below the threshold that you, you need for your maximal performance is quite difficult. So so going for something like caffeine tablets will give you a more accurate measure of where you're going with it. While we're talking tablet supplements as well, um, sodium, salt and stuff recommend yeah. that during training from a hydration point of view um yeah when you're losing water you're also losing um electrolytes which include sodium potassium things like that you can either do it by adding them into water but then um things like milk great one because that's um got all those sorts of things in it um and some of the sports you know the isotonic sports drinks usually have those things added into them as well for specifically for that but yeah that's one of the things where people who do endurance events quite often have higher sodium needs than gem pop where it's a case of you know don't put salt in don't add salt take everything out and especially if you're eating quite an unprocessed diet going for you know optimal nutrition for things like training you can actually be quite low in sodium um so yeah it does depend on the the overall quality of the rest of your diet um but yeah that can be something um especially around races and rehydrating afterwards and again you know that's your, your milks your milkshakes your chocolate milks mm-hmm. um, great for those wicked i can't think of anything Amazing. else we've got coming in have you got any more questions josh no i, I think i could generally just sit here all day and talk to you jenny to be honest. <laughs> I find it fascinating yeah i um I looked into it myself before I actually look at a nutritional course. It's quite expensive to do, isn't it? Of course. It's like five, six grand. Yeah, it's quite expensive. Yeah. Um, Mm. But but I suppose that's um, the thing for me was it was, I mean, if if you're serious about your, you you know, your sport and your training and what you do, you you end up paying quite a lot for, you know, Mm. trainers and coaches and, and stuff like that. And, and I, I did seek it out and I was ready to go with, you know, to, to pay someone to coach me for things like this. I mean, there's, um, for me personally, there's, you know, some, some clinical stuff as well from a family history point of view. I wanted to make sure I was hitting everything, you know, on the nail and I've got quite a, you know, sciencey mathematical background. So I love all the numbers and the, you know, the studies and the things like that. So once I sort of got into it, it was a case of going with it. Cause yeah, there was no one, I mean, I know with the internet and things it's different, but there was no one around here that did it. You, you hear nutritionists and you often think of someone selling herbal teas and all, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, th- and that's what you get when you sort of Google search it. So, um, yeah, it, it was just a, a mission to sort of become educated in, in doing things right. And, and everything from that I've, I've learned and that I, I look at, it all goes back to, you know, what a study's shown or what's been found or reported, nothing's someone's opinion, nothing's, you know, oh, well, I did this and it's all evidence-based stuff, which was, 
yeah, which was key for me. It's, it's, it's what works and, and where's the evidence for it. What I've really appreciated today is when you do speak to some nutritionists or you uh, watch interviews with them, they go really in depth and make, and the information just goes straight over my head because they're just saying stuff I don't understand. <laughs> you've made it really simple today. So I do really appreciate that. It's uh, been really you. good. That's yeah, good to know. <laughs> no, wicked. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, definitely. No, we really appreciate your time. And obviously, thanks again for coming on the pod, Jenny. It's been amazing to have you. And I know the listeners are going to absolutely love this episode and take so much from it. So, yeah, I think we, what that. we might have to do is make it a bit of a regular thing. And uh, I'm trying to get you back on again with a few more questions because so it's been really insightful, really good no that's great yeah definitely i mean if anyone's got any um i can't i can't answer anything specific to you know i do this what exactly can you know but in terms of general questions um and going um you know give it giving some general advice or you know or what about or have you heard of or it's things like that and hopefully making things yeah clearer and less complicated there's a lot of stuff out there that that adds a lot of um you know mystery i know that's usually trying to sell you something or you know get you into a, a certain way of thinking um and it's it's usually not the case you know things are it, it doesn't have to be that hard or that complicated um so yeah definitely that would be great so where can people find you because um as i say you, you you got your own business and stuff so where can people seek you out for more advice and uh, pay you some good money to point them in the right <laughs> direction <laughs> um yeah well probably my instagram is probably the most um yeah the, the first place to go um which is yeah just jenny williams nutrition um i post a lot of hopefully quite straightforward but informative things um across a, a range of subjects um and yeah again if there's any any questions send me a message on there um or get in touch um for yeah a more specific uh, bespoke consultation so that is that what you can do for people you can actually give them a consultation and set up a program and things for them yeah Yep, definitely. Um, whatever, whatever the goals or, um, yeah, sports specific, um, you know, prep, things like that. Um, I send out consultation forms and some food diaries. So to work out what people's habits, lifestyle, current diet, things like that are. And then back from that, um, usually either in person or something like this, like a, a Zoom or a Skype call um, to talk through. And then, yeah, it, it again it's one of those it's different for everybody um i've never worked with two people and advised the same thing or approached it in the same way whether it's a case of specific you know more specific templates and guides as to exactly what to eat or whether it's more you know general whether it's a one-off hit these these supplements would work for you do this around training off you go or whether it's literally a day-to-day -day thing with with a very high level of support it, it all depends on each person nice yeah. wicked right you happy josh yeah no that's been great thanks again jenny yeah you've been that's a star great. thank you very much that's lovely thank you very much cheers Fab. <laughs> well there we have it fantastic interview i feel with uh, jenny williams i think we covered quite a lot of detail there and hopefully the listeners will take a lot away from what we've just spoken about yeah i thought it was really good it was it was nice to have it explained on a, a simple level that i could understand uh as i say there's so many nutritionists out there and when they start talking to me i kind of glaze over because they go into all the science a little bit too deep uh but jenny explained it really well yeah really good 
I think the great thing about her as well is, yeah, exactly that. And also she's very relevant, isn't she? Because she's, you know, she's done her course, what, in 2019? I think yeah. she qualified, didn't she, um, from university. So I think, you know, that makes her kind of really up to date with the times as well, which I feel is a is a big thing in an, obviously an ever-changing world and the sport and industry. So that yeah, was great. And obviously we touched on a point, um, it was off air before, obviously, um, the interview where I actually asked a fantastic question and I think we kind of got a bit, um, we overran a little bit through the interview and stuff. So we're a bit conscious with time. So we didn't want to keep Jenny any longer. But I asked a question about um, calorie intake. So say, say, for instance, you're working to a certain calorie intake for whatever reason, for muscle gain, weight loss, whatever it might be. My, my big question was around, there's always been this theory about you know eating too late at night and you shouldn't eat after a different like a certain time and yeah lots of people say you shouldn't eat after six o'clock yeah well what was really interesting is what jenny said is that actually um and obviously i asked the question because i know myself sometimes my training sessions are quite late so i didn't get home till you know maybe nine ten o'clock at night and i'm always conscious then and thinking oh should i really be eating now but the answer to that is it actually doesn't matter and if, if anything you should still eat because you've just done a training session and you need to get those important proteins in for your body to recover and obviously re-energize you ready for your ready for your next session. So um, it was almost, it doesn't actually matter when you eat your, your calories. So say for instance, you're, you, you know, your calorie intake a day needs to be 2,500. Well, it doesn't actually matter at what point of the day you eat those calories, as long as obviously your body gets the nutritional calories that it needs so yeah i find that really interesting as well and i thought i'd just add that in at the end here because i feel that will obviously you know um add value to the listeners as well yeah no that's a good point because i say some of the training sometimes when we have to swim we have to go to the swimming pool like half eight nine o'clock at night just to get the lane swims in and stuff Mm. and i say the last thing you want to do really is is eat but if you you need to repair the muscles and that sort of stuff. And if that means taking on some protein and, and a little bit of food, uh, uh, it's, it's got to be done, I think. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll bring this episode to an end then because I think, you know, it's been a fantastic interview and obviously really appreciate Jenny's time. Um, we'll put in the show notes where you can find her. Um, it's Jenny Williams Nutrition on Instagram, which is where she currently does a lot of stuff. And she's in the process at the moment of building an official website. Um, we'll put that link in the show notes as I said anyway so you can follow her I think it's definitely worthwhile looking at her page because there's a lot of like nutritional tips and um, things that she puts on and posts about so um, definitely worth a um, a follow for sure yeah wicked all right mate well so where can people as they as go through our normal closing routine where can people find you on insta I should know this by now mate come on so it's jmski123 have you had many followers hit you up on uh, Instagram yeah I've had a few Um, I've made my account private now so you have to request it before you can just automatically follow me so obviously got to that you've got to vet the people as they come in yeah yeah I'm obviously going into that big time category now so I need to like (laughs) vet them and there's a process you know I was uh, reading reading an article the other day you need to hit 30,000 on Insta and then you're classed as a celebrity so we need to get to that to that level Ah, well, yeah, I think I'd need about 29,000. <laughs> 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 oh, well, I've got even less followers than you. So, if, yeah, if you are listening to us, please follow us on Instagram. Uh, I'm on active underscore soul underscore UK. Uh, and as we say every week, um, if you can just uh, stick a review on the um, podcast uh, provider that you use and, uh, and rate us, that would be good. We have had a few, I think we've got 10 five-star reviews already on uh, 
Apple, which is good. Uh, so yeah, the more we can add to that would be uh, awesome. Right then, mate, you have a good week and I'm going to catch up with you very, very soon uh, when we get yeah. number 13. Get 13 Absolutely. in the bag next. Thank you to everyone for listening. Take care. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Bye.